So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please, and 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll read you two passages and then we'll just dive right in to the topic at hand. The topic tonight is, how can I reach my family for Christ? This is a commonly asked question that I've had over many years of ministry. And for those of you that are have been faithful to our WBFs, uh, our most recent series on how to share the gospel, you know, we had a lesson on how to reach family members and relatives. Well, this is not just a rehash of this. This is completely new uh, from that. And which also reminds me to encourage you that the first week of September, we'll be right back on our schedule with our WBFs, our weekday Bible fellowships. And we have five regional Bible studies, and we'll uh, really be announcing that in the in the couple weeks to come. And we encourage you to get plugged right back in uh, this fall to the WBFs. And if you have not uh, previously been involved, we invite you. We'd love to have you. Uh, be a part of one of our WBFs. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll begin at verse 12 and read down through verse 16. Then we'll come over to 1 Peter 3. All right, so the Bible says, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how, is, how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? All right, let's leave off there and just move forward to 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, ye wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden Man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to 
fellowship around the Word of God. And Lord, think about this very important and practical topic tonight. And I ask that you would guide our thoughts and our hearts and Lord, help us to be encouraged about the reaching of our loved ones for Jesus. Help us to uh, be encouraged that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Lord, help us to take away something uh, practical, maybe something we have not previously considered, that will be a help and a blessing to us and our families. And uh, Lord, I pray that, Lord, if um, these... Scriptures we look at, and Lord, this message could be of help and of assistance, and Lord, even result in one lost soul coming to know you. Lord, that it be all worth it, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the two passages that we've read here this evening uh, both present to us scenarios where one spouse in the marriage is a believer, and the other is not. Now, it may be the wife that is saved, but the husband is not. Or it could be that it's the other way around. In any case, or in either case, these passages, I believe, are designed to give us hope that God can and does work in our unbelieving family members' hearts. Now, that is true, not only if it's a spouse, but... If we have children who are not believers, if we have parents who are not believers, if we have siblings that are unsaved, or it could go beyond the immediate context of the family, and it could go to our extended family, our wider family, aunts and uncles and cousins and the 1,070 Alcock relatives out in Newfoundland, all right? And what it does is it gives us hope. Amen? Their salvation is not only possible, but in fact, can we say amen to this? It is desirable to God that our loved ones would come to know the Lord. And so, uh, you know, listen to what 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. Maybe you have often quoted verses like this. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How about 1 Timothy 2.4, where we read that God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So if that is true, and it is for an unsaved world in general, how much more do you suppose this evening that it's true for those of us who as believers have a sincere desire to reach family members for the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us who are earnestly praying for the salvation of family members, do you believe God desires those those people to be saved? Absolutely I do. So what we're going to attempt this evening in the short time that we have is to look at some realities that impact the reaching of our family members for Jesus and then, uh, and we'll talk about those realities which many times present obstacles. We'll also uh, look at God's desire. What is God's will for the family that has unsaved loved ones? And then we're going to come to a very practical matter. And uh, really, honestly, the first parts of the message, you've probably heard all this before. 
But I really want you to pay attention when we come to the last main point. It's a practical matter, and we're going to examine some do's and don'ts in reaching our loved ones with the gospel. And I believe that's very, very important. We can have all the great intentions in the world, but, you know, we need to go about it God's way. You know, we are partners with God in this business of evangelism. And so when we get to those do's and don'ts, you know, not only can we take those and see how they apply to our family, but they apply even in a broader context, maybe to people that we work with that we're trying to reach, close associates, class members, neighbors, etc. I, I believe they have a broader context, but, but we're focusing in on the family tonight. So the first reality that I want us to consider has to do with the uniqueness of our individual families and our situations as families. Every family dynamic is different. There's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to families, and uh, nor is there when it comes to our approach in reaching those family members for Jesus. Uh, that's because they're all unique. Now, certain things are the same, and there are those non-negotiable uh, aspects, for instance, the gospel is the same in every single case. Amen? So death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to, we need to preach Jesus. And we need, to, we need to preach that all men everywhere are sinners. And we need to preach that without Christ, uh, folks are dying and they're going to a Christless eternity. Uh, we need to preach that Jesus is the only door, is the only way to heaven. And we need to uh, simply, with our heart, believe by faith that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but He's the Savior of the world. Just like we heard this morning in that excellent message this morning. The need for prayer and the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit in our loved one's heart is the same in every case. Okay, The Word of God is the seed that must be planted in an unbeliever's heart. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? By the Word of God. So those things never change. Okay, when it comes to the gospel, those are, those are non-negotiable things. But the fact still remains that every family situation has some unique features that we must consider as we seek to um, share Christ, as we seek to reach those loved ones for the Lord Jesus. And among the unique features of our family uh, are things like our culture, our culture. Now, we automatically assume that culture pertains to things such as nationality, ethnicity, uh, and language, and even to some degree, uh, religion is closely tied to that. I mean, we've all heard it, right? To be Italian is to be Catholic, right? You know, or it could be Filipino. There's a strong Catholic connection there. A lot of uh, nationalities, they're, they're tied into Catholic. Well, it might be Hindu, it might be Muslim, it might be some other religion. But oftentimes, you know, families have a hard time divorcing culture from religion. It's all part of the same package. And while all of that is certainly true, and it's in, included in our primary understanding when we think about culture, it's also true that each and every individual family has a culture of its own. A culture that is unique to that family unit alone and no others. So you could take two Italian families or two Filipino families or two German families 
And they exist within the same ethnic and linguistic and even maybe religious culture, but at the same time have a very distinct flavor all of their own. Okay? It's unique. Uh, Let me explain it a little further, illustrate it this way. My wife and I come from two separate families, which are very different. And the Nelson family had its culture. And the Thiessen family, as I grew up in the Thiessen family, we had our own culture. Now the two of us came together by God's design. And when we got married, we each brought a piece of those cultures into our marriage. And so there was a mixture of cultures. And so each and every family, it's a melting pot of sorts. And we brought, you know, some good, some not so good, right, into into all of that. And, And over the years, as our family has grown, we have established within our home a culture that is very unique to us. It is not the Thiessen culture that I grew up with. It is not the Nelson culture that my dear wife grew up with. It is a new Thiessen culture for a new generation. That's what it is. Okay? And you'd have to be a part of our family to understand. It's kind of quirky and unique and different at times. All right? As all my children would attest to. Um, and, and so is your family. And that is why you are uniquely qualified to reach your own family members for Jesus. Because you understand that culture. Uh, it's also uh, a thing that's unique is the family history. You, your family history is made up of all kinds of stories from the past. Uh, likely stories of romance and adventure. Stories of immigration and overcoming tremendous difficulties and challenges in coming to a new land. Stories that many of them make you laugh and some stories that make you cry. And uh, not all the stories are good ones, but they are stories that make your family history and your particular family unique. So every family has a biological and geographical history. We have social and economic history. We have a spiritual or religious history, certainly. And so I would encourage you, and I'm encouraging myself, we, we need to know our family history and use it as a tool. Use it as a tool to reach our precious loved ones for Jesus. Our families are unique in their structure or the, the authority base. Uh, you know, it could be a very strict and formal type of structure or it could be very loose-knit, but there's a dynamic to that uh, authority structure that's either implied if, if, if it's not expressed in every home. There is a chain of command. To go back to the farm where I grew up, there's a saying about a pecking order, and I saw that with, with the chickens, you know. And that's literal. They, those chickens will peck another one to death if they're left unimpeded. All right? And so, you know, every family's like that. There's, you know, and um, there, there's the de facto leader, you know, even among siblings, right? There's like the lead dog among the siblings. There's the, there's the person that, you know, when they speak, Everybody listens, okay? And you know who that is in in your family. If it's not you, you know who else it is, okay? There's always someone at the top of the food chain. And and then there are others who seem to 
just quietly make their contribution along the way, but they seem to have little to say with the overall direction of the family. There are those who lead and those who follow. And so we know where we fit in, and depending where that is, uh, it can also impact or alter your approach to sharing the gospel or reaching that loved one with the gospel, right? So uh, a structure in the family life can range from rigid and militaristic to chaotic and dysfunctional. Okay, there's a wide range and there's many variations of that in between. So all those aspects to family life that we're talking about, culture, family history, authority, uh, they play a role. I'm saying that they do. The gospel's the same, but those things play a role in how we're going to go about reaching our family members. The next reality of family life for us to consider is what I call the uneasiness that exists many times within family uh, situation, especially when it comes to the gospel. And, and we should naturally, we should feel at ease in the family setting, but we all know that there's certain topics which uh, can create tension, uneasiness, and even bad feelings. Usually those topics have to do with politics and religion. You know how it goes. Okay? You've all been there. And so that makes sharing the gospel with a loved one a potentially stressful and uneasy situation. And perhaps we're fearful due to the fact that this tension exists in our home. But we may also have this uneasiness because we are fearful. It can go either way. Now, here's here's some quick verses from the Scripture, biblical thoughts on fear. I believe we need to keep in mind when it comes to our unease with sharing the gospel with our loved one, because really what it comes back to is fear, right? And we need to keep this in mind because otherwise these fears will plague us, they will paralyze us, and they will, uh, they will hinder us in our obedience to Christ. So here's what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. First uh, John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And Romans 14.23 says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if we're living hindered by fear, and we're not sharing with our loved ones, when God has clearly given us that command to do that, uh, then we've given in uh, to fear. And I think we need to remember this little acrostic on fear, Ever so often to remind ourselves, you probably heard it before, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Okay, and, and with that in mind, let's ask, what are the typical or classic fears we have when it comes to sharing Christ with a family member? Well, one of them is that we have the fear of being rejected. You know, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of us can identify with that? Sure, we have a fear of being rejected. I don't like to be rejected. Who likes to be rejected? Now, it's very common. But think about it this evening. Is this a legitimate fear? Or really, is it a selfish thing? Are we maybe in that fear of rejection? We're thinking a little bit more about ourselves than we ought to. After all, where is our concern at that point? Where is our love for the family member who's going to die without Jesus and spend an eternity in hell if they're not saved? Furthermore, you know, think about our Lord Jesus himself. Was Did Jesus not suffer rejection? Yeah, absolutely he did. 
even as we saw this morning, rejected by his own brothers and sisters. Those of his hometown, Nazareth. Shouldn't we be willing to suffer a similar rejection if necessary out of our love for Christ and our love to share his salvation with our loved one? And really, if you stop and think about it, when there's a rejection of the gospel, are they really rejecting you? No, they're rejecting the Savior. They're rejecting the Lord. They're rejecting the gospel message. And so uh, I, I believe that's a groundless fear, that fear of being rejected. Um, or it, it can be this fear, too, when it comes to family contact. The fear of having our past used against us. And the fear goes something like this. Well, my folks know all about me. Hey, they know my past, my sinful past. And maybe that included some, some vices that you're ashamed of now. You know, could be you had an, an awful temper. You know, you were very self-centered. Maybe uh, you had drug or alcohol addictions. And all these many, all this baggage. And you say, you know, if I witness my, they're going to they're gonna bring that up. And I just, I don't want to go down that road. Well, listen, don't allow Satan. That's Satan intimidating you into silence with your past mistakes. Um you can overcome the negative impact of past failures, failures upon your witness. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, I really believe it's just by being straightforward and honest. You know, when, when, when it's necessary, be, be, be willing to admit to being the person you used to be. And then go forward living in his forgiveness. And just let your family members see your changed life. And, and the issue is really not who you used to be but who your new identity, you're a new creature in Christ, uh, who he's made you to be. Then, uh, then there's this other fear, and that, that's the fear of hardening our loved ones against the gospel. We say, well, you know what, if I come on and I witness, and you know what, I'm just going to harden them against the gospel, and the, the door is going to be shut, and I, and I don't want to do that. Again, this fear like the others, in many ways, is unrealistic. Why? Well, for starters, now, and this is true where if we have not shared the gospel with them, your loved one cannot harden themselves to a message that they've not fully heard or understood. Okay? So you, you've got to share it. Amen? It, it's got to get out there. Uh, this fear further demonstrates a lack of faith in the power of the gospel and the convicting work of God's Holy Spirit. We think, oh, they never want to hear. Man, they they reject me. They're going to bring up my past. They're going to hate me. And they're going to be hardened forever to the gospel. How do you know? You know, God is that... Listen, God saved you. Where, where were you once at spiritually? And God saved you. A life-changing message of Christ came to your soul. It came to your heart. And you responded in faith. Listen to what the Bible says about all this. Romans 1.16. Again, these are verses we probably know by heart. What did Paul say? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For as the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
We know of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, verse 8, that when He is coming, reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Hey, the Holy Spirit is still in the business of convicting people about their sin. No matter how dark the world gets. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and ye see Me no more. It's a wonderful thing for a sinner to be confronted with the perfect life of Jesus Christ. God's glory. The standard, the mark that we fall short of according to Romans 3.23. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And God is still able to convict men you know, even with the thought of hanging over the precipice of a fiery hell. God's able to use that. All right, so having said that... Um, Let's talk about God's desire quickly, and then we'll get to our do's and don'ts. What is God's desire? You know, we can, we can understand our families are unique, and maybe we're uneasy with sharing, but what would God's desire be for your unsaved loved ones tonight? Well, again, going back to our opening passages, 1 Corinthians 7.14, it says that the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. And in 1 Peter 3 and verse 1, uh, Peter said, Likewise, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, that they, uh, they also may without the word be one. He says, they may be one. It's a possibility that they can be saved. And, they're, and in the Corinthians passage, that they're sanctified. What does that mean? They're set apart. So make no mistake about it tonight. God wants your loved ones saved. Now, in order to accomplish that, um, his work is one of sanctification. And that means just to, to set apart the members of your family for a special purpose. And that sanctifying work happens on two different levels. And I want to examine both because they're both important. First of all, do you know, if, if you're one of the believing members in the, in the family, you are set apart by God to live a holy life. You have been sanctified. Okay? That's God's purpose for us. It's no longer to live like the world, live like the devil, live like what we used to. We're to be different. We're new creatures in Jesus Christ. And so that holy life firstly brings glory to God. It's also a tremendous blessing and benefit to each one of us who strive to live in that godly manner. Isn't that wonderful? You know, if we just obey Him... God blesses our lives. But God has also ordained and set us apart to live holy lives in order that our testimony can then influence and reach family members with the gospel. Matthew 5.16 says, We're to let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 says, Be your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I believe it's just a, it's a wonderful thing and it should be a given, it should be an understood uh, matter for us as believers. That understand, well, how am I going to reach my loved one for Christ? Well, understand this. God has sanctified you and He has set you apart and you and I need to leave, live a God-honoring, holy life before men. Okay? And, um, you know, if we're not doing that part and we're not surrendered and obedient in that, how in the world 
you know, are we going to expect that God's going to work in our loved one's life? And they're going to say, you're, you're no different than you've always been. No, no, no. There's a change. Now, we're not perfect, but there's a change. There's something. There, there's, we're salt and light. There's an attractant. Uh, there's something that sparks a thirst and a hunger in the unbeliever's heart to say, you know what? I, I want what you've got. You're different. <laughs> you got peace. You got real joy. You know, you're you're content. I see something um, that I, I I can't get in the world. Okay, are you are you on board with me? Okay, so now let's look at it from the other. Let's put the shoe on the other foot of the of the unbeliever. And I believe this, and this is what these passages, particularly First Corinthians seven, are teaching, that the unbelievers in the family are set apart also for the significant drawing of God's Holy Spirit. Notice again verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 7. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Now, he's still an unbelieving husband. He's not saved yet. It doesn't say he's saved. But he's sanctified. And same, the unbelieving wife, sanctified by the husband. Elsewhere, your children are unclean, but now are they holy. So even the children. In that immediate family context, you've got one believer. Everybody else is set apart by God. Um for some direct and even significant dealing by God's Holy Spirit. Now, God's interested in everyone being saved. But I draw from this passage the idea that God, God's Holy Spirit, zeroes in on a believer's loved ones. And they got a target. And God's Holy Spirit's not going to leave them alone. Now, isn't that refreshing to know? Isn't that encouraging? I, I believe that's helpful for us. And, and how it works is that, really, you think about this, the more that people are exposed to both the gospel message and a genuine example of a Christ-like life, the more opportunity they have to be saved. They have a greater opportunity. Really, they do. You know, and it's like Jesus said in John twelve thirty two: If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. So what's happening in the, in the family of a believer with the unbelievers? Jesus, hopefully, if he's sanctified in the hearts of the believers, he's being lifted up. And now he's drawing the unbelieving members of that family to himself. That's God's desire. And that's how it works. Okay, so finally we've come to the practical. The hands-on section of our message. This is where we can roll up our sleeves. You know, we can put shoe leather on and we can say, okay, now, how am I going to go about doing this? And so we move from principle to practice. And here's, here's several do's and don'ts. They, they apply to reaching your family. Uh, you know, you can take them as, as you wish and apply them to reaching coworkers. You know, associates, neighbors, etc. And so I'm going to give you five. Number one, do pray, but don't push. Do pray, but don't push. You see, how does that work? Well, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Okay? Second Thessalonians three one. 
Paul asks for prayer. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Pray that God's word would run free and have free and open access into the hearts of your loved ones. And I'm telling you what, that prayer will accomplish far more than all your pushing and cajoling and all your sales pitches and however else you want and all your preaching. What, you know, we need to ask ourselves, what does pushing accomplish? Well, this is a verse actually my mother taught me many years ago. And um, it was in another context, but it can be applied in so many contexts. And this is what it says in James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And this is this, slow to wrath. What's wrath? It's, it's energy of the flesh, really, is what it is. It's a very strong emotion, and it's really an issue where we want to control things. And then verse 20 says this, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. All your frenetic energy, all your pushing, is not going to accomplish salvation in the heart of your unbelieving loved one. But through prayer, we can be confident that God will be at work. Okay? Uh, second, do more walking and less talking. Do more walking and less talking. First Peter 3, verse 1. Peter, speaking to the wives, says, Be in subjection to your own husbands, if any obey not the word, that they also may be um, without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, he, he's... Conversation, we're not talking about speech. It's not won by the chatter of the wife. Is one rather by the lifestyle, by the manner of living, by the behavior. All right. So now, now don't get me wrong on this point. Share your testimony with your loved one. Share the gospel message. And you know, there's various mediums you can do that. I think in our WBF we talked about. One example of doing a letter. You know, we've got some great tools today. Everybody's got a smartphone, and you can do a selfie video, and you can just sit down, and you can share your testimony on a video. And then you could distribute it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Okay? Um, so, by all means, share. Proclaim the gospel message to your loved one. But listen to me carefully now. Do it once. Do it twice. But don't do it every time you get together. Don't continue to push that button. You've shared. Now sit back and pray and live a genuine Christian life and let God work. Let your life do the talking after that. And, and, and there's this in First Peter 3.15, which says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. 
Now, I'm not saying we should wait in all cases for people to come and ask us, but what I'm seeing in 1 Peter 3.15 is that God's people should be living such a life that at some point, somewhere along the line, someone's going to come, and it could be a loved one, it could be a family member, and they're going to ask you, what's up with you? Hey, what about your life? Why is it that you live the way you live? And maybe you've even shared the Gospel before with them. But suddenly there's going to come in some hardship. There's going to come in a, a crisis into their life. And when they weren't ready to listen before, all of a sudden they're going to come back. They're going to be on your doorstep, Brother Ramo. And they're going to say, I'm ready to listen. Tell me. Tell me what Jesus means to you. Like the Philippian jailer of old, people are going to be saying, Sir, what must I do to be saved? I got to believe God still works in that way today, don't you? Okay, so less talking and more walking. Three more. Number three, do not focus. This is a big one now. This is, because oftentimes we'll, we'll fall in this area. Do not focus on their failures, but guard against your own. I'm telling you what. Don't, don't dismiss this from your thinking this evening. Don't say, oh, you know, ah, Pastor Thiessen, really? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, they are unsaved. They're unsaved. Is that right? Okay. They're, they're sinners. Is that right? Sinners will sin. Right? They're supposed to do that. That's what we do by nature. So, the real thing is, you know, you're not going to be able to fix the sinner. Only Jesus can do that. Only salvation is going to accomplish that. You can't fix the sinner. So why are you focusing on all their failures? The real thing, the real uh, matter of paramount importance here is to guard your own life from sin. And listen, when you fail, be sure to confess it and seek forgiveness where necessary. You know, and it may be even this thing where you you've been digging at your loved ones for their failures. Maybe even that's a good starting point to just go to that loved one and say, you know what? I am supposed to be. I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm telling you what. I've been so wrong to be pointing out your failures all the time. When I realize I'm just a sinner saved by grace, would you please forgive me? And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that might go farther than just about anything else in reaching your loved one's heart with the gospel. Amen. Start there. Don't focus on their sin. Guard against your own. All right? Four and five coming up. Do not seek to control, but make allowance for choice. What I'm saying with this is you cannot choose Christ for your loved one. If we could, all our loved ones would already be saved. Amen? You cannot choose heaven for them. Romans 10.13 says what? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. 
But how we go about it is, you know what, we want to control. We want to, we want to uh, sort of pressure them into that decision. And, and Romans 10.13 doesn't say whosoever is coerced into repeating a prayer. It does not say whosoever is convinced against their own will. It does not say whosoever is talked into it. If you can talk your loved one into salvation, someone else can come along and talk them right back out of it. It's their own choice. Every one of us are free moral agents. Listen, let me ask you, when you got saved, did you do so of someone else's will or of your own? Of your own. He said, yes, Lord, I believe. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. And I am a sinner. Okay? And when the conviction comes, you didn't need anyone else to tell you that. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So don't seek to control. Now that's tough for us. Especially the, you know, the more recently we've been saved, we just like to take our loved ones and say, you gotta get saved. Well, what, oh, wait a minute. What's all this saved business? Born again? What are you talking about, man? Give me a little bit of space. And you're like, no, you don't realize. You gotta get saved. And we wanna back them right up in a corner and push them up against the wall. Okay, buddy, you gotta get saved. You're, no, you're getting saved right now. No, that's not the way it works. It's got to be their choice. It's got to be their will involved. Last point here. Do wait patiently for God to work. But don't ever give up expecting Him to work. Now, I love this point. Look at verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 7. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Okay, so we're, we're praying, we're waiting patiently for God to work. And sometimes it's years. It's decades. It could be a lifelong wait. But don't ever give up the hope. Don't ever give up the expectation. Don't ever give up in prayer. First Peter 3.1 Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be one. They may be one. I'll tell you one story and then I'm through. It's the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s. And we started a church out in Langley, British Columbia, the Victory Baptist Church. And we had a dear lady come to our church. Her name was Kathleen Burkett. Um, Kathleen loved the Lord. And uh, her husband, Robin, was not saved. Dear man, but not saved. And they had been married, I think, when, they, when she started coming already, probably 30, maybe 40 years. You could talk with Robin just about anything else. You couldn't talk religion with him. I'll tell you what, it was like if you've ever watched, you know, those old, uh, <clears throat> the Get Smart from the 60s, the Cone of Silence. How many know about the Cone of Silence? Okay. That's what, what descended on the room the moment you talked to Robin about the Lord. 
Hello, Robin. No, he's not there. <laughs> All right. And uh, but you know, Kathleen just kept praying for him. And we watched. We were in the home many times. Kathleen loved her husband. She didn't badger him about being in church. She didn't preach at him. She waited on his every need. And she loved that man. And I'm so glad to tell you that seven hours before Robin passed into eternity, we were able to be at his bedside. And Robin took my hand. And he said, I sure do want to be saved. He got saved. And I believe a large part of that is due to a wife said, I'm going to love my husband to Jesus. May God help us all.